Before I begin our message this morning, I want to acknowledge that reading and interacting with our gospel text for this morning is difficult, challenging in 21st century America, where so many marriages, so many families have been affected, have been impacted by divorce or divorce and remarriage. For those who have experienced divorce or divorce and remarriage, I want to remind us all the words of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In case you missed it the first two times, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This, uh, this interaction uh, recorded here in our gospel reading uh, begins uh, with a question, a yes or no question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, Matthew's account adds a little bit more detail. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Now, I personally love yes and no questions, yes or no questions. Uh, they're beautiful in their clarity, their simplicity, and their lack of ambiguity. There's uh, no need for nuanced interpretation. It's either yes or no, true or false, left or right, right or wrong, up or down, black or white, no areas of gray. It's the language of computers. It's either a one or a zero. I love yes or no questions. Unfortunately, for me, my wife, Kim, has a particular aversion to yes or no answers. And when I ask my questions, I oftentimes don't get the answer I'm looking for. Honey, are you ready to go yet? I'll get a long litany of all the things that she has been doing. Many of them include things that I could have been helping with if I had been thoughtful enough. And how it's so much more complicated for a woman to get ready to go someplace than for a man. I can usually figure that one out. I'll, uh, I'll take that off as a no. <laughs> Some of them are more complex. Honey, would you like to go out to eat tonight? Well, I'll get an account of how her day has been, how she's really too tired to really feel like cooking tonight. And uh, maybe a comment about a restaurant she heard of that's pretty good. But then, then there's the list of leftovers in the refrigerator that really need to be eaten. And so it ends with, uh, you know, I'm fine with whatever you'd like to do. Well, there's part of me that's saying, what happened here? And the uh, more computer robotic side is saying, uh, cannot compute, cannot compute. <laughs> and danger Will Robinson. <laughs> Don't get this one wrong. But in her aversion for yes or no answers, Kim is in good company with our Lord Jesus Christ because he doesn't give a yes or no answer to this question. Sometimes yes or no is an insufficient and potentially misleading answer. In this case, it might have also been dangerous. Uh, the verse before where our reading picks up in, uh, in Mark 10 verse 1 uh, explains the setting for this conversation. Jesus has crossed over the Jordan to the other side, that's the east side of the Jordan, in an area that was known as Perea. Uh, that was the heart of the kingdom of Herod Antipas. Uh, this is the same Herod 
who had married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and when John the Baptist spoke out against that, uh, John was imprisoned and later beheaded, and, and it was right here on the other side of the Jordan where that had happened. So perhaps this question was prompted by a very insincere uh, hope that Jesus would say something that would put him at odds with Herod, uh, get him in trouble, provoke Herod's anger. But Jesus does give an answer, and he links his answer uh, and his explanation of, of why there is such a thing as divorce to hardness of heart. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Now there's a particular hardness of heart in the way this question is even posed. Uh, it's looking for what is permitted rather than what's best, what is legal rather than what God desires. There's also a hardness of heart that Jesus is referring to that fails to recognize what God is really doing. Fails to recognize what God is doing in marriage. Marriage is not just a legal contract with a set of legal rights and responsibilities. It's not even just a public commitment between two individuals. Not even just a deep expression of love. Genesis chapter 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Two very different creations, but both individually and collectively reflect the imago Dei, the image of God. And then in Genesis 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Together, they reflect the imago Dei, the image of God in a new, more complete way. In Paul's commentary on this verse in, in Genesis chapter two, recorded in Ephesians five, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So for New Testament believers, uh, this is another dimension to the union between uh, two individuals in marriage. And that's why in the Book of Common Prayer we pray, O oh God, you have so consecrated the covenant of marriage that in it is represented the spiritual unity between Christ and his church. God is doing something in marriage, even in challenging marriages, even in difficult marriages, even in marriages that ultimately do not survive. God is at work. But this hardness of heart fails to recognize that. This hardness of heart fails to recognize what God is doing in our lives fails to recognize what God is doing in our world. We're too busy trying to control our circumstances to recognize what God is really doing in our situation. God came down and lived in this same world as a man, wrote Elizabeth Elliot. He showed us how to live in this world subject to its vicissitudes and necessities that we might be changed not into an angel or a storybook princess, not wafted into another world, but changed into saints in this world. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. This hardness of heart is ultimately an unwillingness to trust God's wisdom, goodness, and power. We choose our own understanding of gender, sex, and marriage. We don't believe God can redeem our situations and we reject God's authority because we won't accept his love. When I was in Kenya serving as a medical missionary years ago, 
there was a, a, a male nursing student named Baraka. Uh, it was not uncommon for uh, nurses and nursing students to be male in that, in that setting. Um, Baraka stood out, though, among his class of nursing students, both because of his name, which was a little unusual, Baraka means blessing, but also because he helped lead worship in the chapel service. He had a beautiful voice and a very enthusiastic uh, spirit to him. One day, late in clinic, uh, Baraka came to me and asked that I would see him. He had been having shortness of breath and had gotten to the point over the last several weeks that that he was having trouble singing. So I agreed to see him and I opened his, his file and I saw that he'd actually been seen in clinic a couple times already for that same complaint. Uh, he had been given a couple courses of antibiotics and they hadn't, hadn't caused him to improve. I saw that they had uh, done an x-ray and they said his lungs showed no evidence of pneumonia. So I decided to take a look at the x-ray myself and, and it was true, his lungs were clear but his heart, we call the cardiac silhouette, was half again as wide as it should have been. Not normal. Now that can happen when someone has heart failure, congestive heart failure, but Baraka was young and he had no other evidence of congestive heart failure. It can also occur when fluid accumulates around the heart. Now, I apologize to those of you who are not medical and, and don't want it. you can tune out for just a moment, but around all of our hearts is a thin membrane called the pericardial membrane. Para in Greek, around, and cardia, cardium, is uh, Greek for heart, so not a very original name, but um, pericardial membrane. And normally there's a thin layer of fluid there with the very unoriginal name pericardial fluid. When that pericardium, though, becomes inflamed, the fluid can accumulate and that pericardial membrane stretches and stretches. Now, if it gets to a certain point, it starts to press in on the heart, making it difficult for the heart to fill with blood and, and pump blood to the rest of the body. And that's what was happening with, uh, with Baraka, the nursing student. The diagnosis was easy enough to confirm with a simple ultrasound. And in that setting in Kenya, someone his age, by far the most common cause of pericarditis, inflammation of the pericardial membrane, was tuberculosis. And so I put him on some treatment for tuberculosis and over the course of several weeks he improved, he did well. Baraka went on to get married. He finished nursing school. He uh, trained as a nurse anesthetist and then he lived up to his name as a blessing to his family and to his community. Now, if we hadn't caught it in time, what would have happened to Baraka? One possibility is that fluid would have accumulated to the point where his heart could no longer beat, in which case we would have had to stick a needle in and draw off some of the fluid. Sometimes the fluid goes away on its own, but a late complication of tuberculosis pericarditis is that the pericardial membrane can scar down it develops a dense scar tissue around it and that slowly squeezes the heart to where it loses its ability to pump. That's called restrictive pericarditis. The heart is encased in scar tissue that protects it from outside injury but gradually prevents the heart from expanding to fill with blood and pump blood to the body. The word that Jesus uses for hardness of heart in this passage is a, is a Greek word, sclerocardia. 
and that in Greek is sclero is hard, cardia is heart, literally hard-heartedness. Sclero, though, is also where we get the medical term sclerosis, which means scarring. So this image of restrictive pericarditis, a heart that is scarred down on the outside, is a, is a very good picture of the sclerocardia that Jesus is talking about in a metaphorical sense. We lose the ability to receive what God has given us, to be nourished and nurtured by it, and to pass it on to others. What parts of your heart are becoming hardened? The parts where you're losing your ability to receive and pass on God's love and grace, his mercy and forgiveness, his holiness and truth. The last part of this passage that Daryl read for us has to do with children. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The word of the Lord. Children are not perfect. As the battle-scarred father of four, I can say with confidence, Children are sometimes messy. They're sometimes loud. They demand constant attention, and, and they insist on being fed on a regular basis. Uh, parenting is not for the faint of heart. But one thing I can say about children is that they have soft hearts. Unless they've been deeply hurt at an early age, they have a natural ability to receive and to reciprocate love. They have the ability to trust and obey and a natural willingness to be cared for and led. The kingdom of God belongs to them because they're able to receive it. Hardening of the heart, that comes with age. The numerous harms and betrayals that we experience harden our hearts. Like an infection, the sin sickness of this fallen world affects our hearts and tends to scar it down. We have to be taught, taught to distrust. It's not something we're born with. We're taught by the world, we're taught by our own flesh, we're taught by the devil. We learn to listen to lies rather than the, than the truth that God has given us. Like Adam and Eve, we believe the lies and choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. We choose knowledge over life. Our hearts become hardened. Keith Green in his song, My Eyes Are Dry, wrote, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. Though oil is you, your spirit of love, please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. This is the cure for a hardened heart, the oil and the wine. The oil is the spirit of love, the Holy Spirit. In his uh, sermon, How Hearts Are Softened, Charles Spurgeon wrote, it needs the spirit of grace 
to give us grace to receive grace. We're so graceless that we will not even accept grace till God gives us grace for grace, grace to accept grace. Uh, that's our dilemma. Our hearts are so hardened that we can't even receive the grace that God has to give us without a work of the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts. The Spirit most often does this work imperceptibly. Like the wind, we can't see him, but we see and we feel the effects. Ezekiel prophesied, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The second part of this cure is the, is the wine of his blood, the blood of Christ. Spurgeon goes on to write, the look which blesses us so as to produce tenderness of heart is a look to Jesus as the pierced one. It's not looking to Jesus as God only which affects the heart, but looking to the same Lord and God as crucified for us. We see the Lord pierced, and then the piercing of our own heart begins. Jesus' great love for us compelled his great suffering for us. As we remember his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit can give us a new heart. So what is Jesus asking us to do? He's asking us to become children again. Let Jesus take you by the hand and lead you. Let his light dispel the darkness. Let him take you in his arms and bless you. Let him soften your heart with the oil of his spirit and the wine of his blood. Amen.